You're listening to Real Coaching Radio. Building a positive network. Today's podcast is brought to you by Kids Talk Foundation, a global nonprofit organization providing youth advocacy, television programming, and training services in the United States, along with comprehensive medical and educational services for the developing world. Most recently in Kenya, Africa, where Kids Talk Foundation provides a feeding program, medical care, and educational services to over 1,300 young people each day. Please help our youth and place your donation. Go to www.kidstalk.org. Okay, welcome. That familiar theme, money. So that's what we're going to be talking about. My name is uh, Law Whitean. I'm the host of your show, This is Your Money and Your Mindset. Now, why are we talking about this? Because we're going to be exploring for the next hour how your thinking, your perceptions, your attitudes can have a profound effect on your bank balance. Okay, so it's not really your uh, ability to go to school and get good academic grades, but a lot of other things that go on that determine your level of wealth. So to this end, I've made it my mission to go and talk to people, uh, basically pick their brains, the people who have done it, the people who have become successful, the people who study people who are successful, and ask them very pointed questions as to what separates these people who are successful from the people who aspire to be in that way. Otherwise, you wouldn't be on the show listening to this or watching this. So today, our guest, uh, this is really, really great. I'm really excited because our guest today is Mr. Robert Jordan. Okay. Uh, Robert Jordan, or Bob, is a, sounds like he's a serial entrepreneur. He just can't help himself. He goes around uh, setting up companies, starts them up, and then sells them off for a, a fair bit of cash. And he has made it a, his own, uh, I guess, his little mission to find out how other people do it. So if you have trouble getting yourself around or wrapping your head around the idea of millionaires, now Bob is going to introduce you to people who are billionaires, okay? That's $100 million in the old money. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Mr. Robert Jordan. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much, Lorwa. Okay. Thanks for having me on your show. It's a pleasure. Now, I can't wait to get started into this, this topic because you are the person who's actually pushed the boundaries for a lot of people. You think a million dollars is a lot of money, but hey, get your head around the idea of a billion dollars and you've actually gone and talked to a whole bunch of uh, billionaire entrepreneurs. So uh, first of all, before we go that far, just tell me who is Robert Jordan? I've been working with entrepreneurs my uh, whole uh, career. I am an entrepreneur and uh, loving working with entrepreneurs. I was just completely fascinated with the idea of learning from incredibly successful company founders, how they did it. I wanted to know how they decided to launch, what kind of challenges they hit, uh, you know, learn about obstacles, learn about winning strategies. I just thought there there has to be, um, you know, if they're willing to share, there has to be some secret sauce they're willing to give so that I 
don't have to make the exact same mistakes. And the same thing would apply in a book form that people who could uh, read a book that was directly from those entrepreneurs, not with my interpretation, um, could also learn. So first of all, um, how did you get them to agree? Like these, for these people, time is money. So how did you get them to agree to sit down and talk to you? And, and, and these are fairly uh, detailed conversations and interviews they had with them. So what was your, your way of getting them to, to sort of reveal the secret source if, if it were the case to you? Yeah, that, that is the key question, and that's, uh, the short answer is it took four years um, to get 45 uh, champions to agree to be interviewed, and those 45 company founders created $41 billion in value, so it's, uh, it is a real group of people. I suppose in the end what you could say is that we shared a common mission. What I, what I was saying to them was that you have a legacy, you can have a legacy here of passing on wisdom to the next generation uh, of aspiring entrepreneurs. And in the end, that's what they all agreed to, and that's why they agreed to be interviewed. So basically, you appeal to the generosity of, of, uh, you know, of spirit in that, in that case. And it sounds like these people were happy to give off their time when basically for them, time is money. In the end, yes. I think uh, many of them were very deeply skeptical. And when the book came out, they completely changed around. And now they're, you know, uh, occasionally I get invited to speak and go places and all that. And they're willing to fly anywhere now. So now it's been a complete reversal, which is good. Okay. So in a sense, you two had to have that sense of self-belief that what you were doing was a worthwhile exercise, yeah? Completely. And, you know, it was like any other entrepreneurial effort. I wasn't sure it was going to work. In the beginning, I thought it was maybe a stupid idea. And in the end, you know, there, there came some point where it was like, you know, I think it's going to work. It's actually, it's actually starting to pay off. Same as any other kind of business. Yeah, it, it sort of reminds me of, uh, you know, Napoleon Hill, um, Think and Grow Rich, that, that, that particular book where one of the things he says is that you have to have a burning desire to do something and, and see it to the end. What, was it what you felt on the inside on certain days when you had 10 people turn you down one after the other saying, no, we're not going to do this book with you? Yes, uh, it was disappointing. Um, you bring up Napoleon <laughs> Just putting it Hill mildly. and he... Yeah, I'm 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 recovered now because the book came out and I think it 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 did all right. But um, you also I'm glad you brought up Napoleon Hill and Think and Grow Rich because that is that that's the to my mind the foundation of all you know personal improvement books that have come out in the past hundred years. And clearly that was the inspiration for doing um, this book, how they did it. Um, in the end, I think it was great because a lot of these founders agreed. And, and, you know, frankly, look, I take, took the advice of a lot of these founders, which is, you know, they would say no, and then I would, you know, point out some interesting things that maybe they hadn't thought about, and then I would go back a year later and point out some other interesting things. And so, you know, it was like any other kind of selling effort. It was repetition. It doesn't happen the first time. Yes, that's the other thing he, Napoleon Hill talks about, and that's persistence, isn't it? Don't take no for an answer um, first up. You just keep chipping away at it like you did. Yeah, Laura, I actually back to one of the points you had made before about being passionate. 
you, you know, it's something we've all heard about being passionate. And it's true. I think passion trumps skill. I now think after having done the interviews that the way it actually is, is that um, first comes need. Need is more important than passion. Need develops passion and passion is more important than skills. So when you say need, are you looking at uh, fulfilling a niche? Is that what you mean here? Yes, these founders, I think they have this skill of curiosity and uh, not accepting the status quo. And it's not that in most cases it was rocket science. I think a lot of the, these founders were starting things that they saw something in the world that appeared to them to be a problem or just something wasn't right, some kind of opportunity. They saw a need and that need fueled what became passion. And that passion in turn trumps skill. In other, word, in other words, they would hire people around them who had better skill sets at things. But first came that finding a need. There was some need in the world and they became passionate about solving that problem. So basically it's not rocket science, as you say, you know, it's not sort of highfalutin. It's actually something quite mundane, if you can call it that, or, or something quite fundamental that everyone's going around uh, basically are putting up with the average until somebody comes along and says, hey, there's a better way of doing it. Is that right? Yes. And if I, I, if I can, I'll give you an example from one of the founders. Sure. Uh, Jim Dolan, he's the founder of Dolan Company, which is public. And at one point, he bought a legal newspaper um, publisher. And this legal newspaper over 100 years old. And most of us would look around and say, Okay, a, a newspaper for lawyers, uh, that doesn't sound particularly revolutionary. After he bought it, they went out and surveyed all of the subscribers to find out why they read it. And what they learned was it wasn't about the front page. It wasn't about the news. It was about the fine print in the back, these notices of foreclosure and bankruptcy. And it was a process of collecting information that took three months. To kind of fast forward to the end, Jim set up a real-time electronic service to report all of this information um, to go from three months down to minutes and ended up selling that business for, I believe it was over $100 million. But it all came from buying a legal publisher, 100 years old, that no one saw what the asset was. Well, that guy deserves a medal for putting two and two together because it's pretty far left field, isn't it, when you think about it? Legal newspapers, you think um, something like a broadsheet or, or a tabloid, and then you think, let's marry it to technology, the Internet, and bang, you have yourself a fantastic product. Right. Yeah, okay. So now this is a question that's, that's sort of um, been bugging me. I really need to know. Why did you target the Midwest billionaires when you've got the whole of America, you know, from the Pacific to, to the Atlantic? Why did you choose a, a very concentrated geographically um, bunch of people within a radius of um, X number of miles? Uh, great question. A lot of, of reasons. First of all, I, I come from the Midwest. I live outside Chicago. So I had a personal bias, which is that uh, a lot of people around here little bit of a chip on their shoulders that, that feel that everyone thinks the only great technology comes out of Silicon Valley. Yep. And so specifically, I wanted to prove that was not the case. There was a broader point that, you know, the Rust Belt is not viewed 
as producing technology, yet here you have these brilliant examples. Groupon comes out of, of Chicago. Um, and so there was proving that. And part of it as well, Lorwai, was this whole idea that all of these people are unknown. They are completely unknown. And yet, and they started in places that are completely improbable. You know, the number one person in the book is Dane Miller, the founder of Biomet. He took Biomet private a year or two ago for $12 billion. He is in Warsaw, Indiana. He's still there. He's still unknown. No one knows where Warsaw, Indiana is. And I think it's a little bit of an inspiration to people that, you know, it's, it's this line, bloom where you're planted. Because you really can. You don't need to move to succeed. Well, that's turning things on the head because most people say, you know, go west, young man, or something to that effect, that you have to uh, uproot yourself. But you're, you're actually proving quite the opposite, that these people who are more comfortable where they live geographically uh, can can basically grow businesses that, for all intents and purposes, um, are GDPs of small countries. Yes, it's absolutely the case. And uh, it, it's not even that it needed to be stated. You just read about these, you read the Q&A from these individuals and they, they sought out to be where they're at. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. Okay, so now I'm going to go to the next point, but we're going to take a commercial break, a short one quickly, and uh, we'll come back with the question about the title of your book and the, uh, you know, the running title after that. So hang on to your hats, folks. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to Real Coaching Radio, building a positive network. Discover how to create your extraordinary life with personal coaching sessions and all the ongoing support you'll need to define your vision, realize success, and create your extraordinary life. Join our online Ask a Coach program and connect with one of our expert coaches in the areas of health, personal finance, relationships, personal growth, environment, career, and spirituality. Go to www.askacoach.us and register. Imagine a new online community where coaches, experts, and their clients connect. Imagine using a system of powerful tools to improve your life. Imagine the world of your money and finances getting better each day. Saving for the future. Escaping debt. Well... Imagine no more. The community is here for you today. Your radio show host will give you further details. For you, the listeners of Real Coaching Radio Network's live shows and podcasts, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial to give you a chance to check out their service. We recommend The Seat of the Soul by Gary Zukoff or another audiobook free by trying audible.com. To download your free audiobook today, go to www.audiblepodcast.com forward slash RCRN. Again, that's www.audiblepodcast.com forward slash RCRN for your free audiobook. You're listening to Real Coaching Radio, building a positive network. Okay, folks, welcome back. My name is Law Tant. You are watching and listening to the show, Your Money and Your Mindset. And today we have a fantastic, interesting guest, Mr. Robert Jordan, who has written a book about uh, billionaires and how they actually do it. 
So the title of your book, Bob, is um, quite simple, How They Did It, Billion Dollar Insights from the Heart of America. Uh, I was quite taken by that title when you said the heart of America. It almost speaks of a poignancy. Um, did you choose that deliberately or was it your editor? Uh, it was incredibly deliberate. We agonized over the title of the book for at least one year. I'd say actually two years. And wow. also the design of the book. Um, it's not traditional. This originally was going to be a book of quotes that you could read and say one sitting. And mm -hmm. what happened with a lot of the founders was, you know, they heard about it and knew what I was planning. And they were like, you know, you're just doing a book of quotes after four years of work, you know, and the Q&A that came out of this, the stories were so fascinating and inspiring that we thought, well, we have to somehow present two books in one. So that's the reason the format looks very non-traditional. The top half of the page is a horizontal layout and the top half is a big quote. And you could read the big quotes in one sitting. And then there's this Q&A, which is meant to be dense, the bottom of page, almost like a landscape, like you're looking at the, the ground. And that's where you see a full 80,000 word book. Yep, okay, so yes, so that, that, that thing about, um, you know, from the heart of America, again, it's you showcasing that, like you say, the Rust Belt. It's not really the Rust Belt. It's a, there's, there's a hive of activity. It's just that uh, these billionaires are flying under the radar. It sounds like you don't read about these people in, in the society pages. They're, they're not out there promoting themselves, and they're not into publicity. Was that a deliberate thing from them? They just wanted to get on with their lives and running their businesses? Uh, this is a very shy bunch. Um, they... <laughs> They, they so do not go for publicity and uh, made it challenging. I think it makes it more authentic because clearly their success was not built on, on public relations. This was real live work that was undertaken and uh, not people who are seeking the limelight in any way. Um, and, and I have to tell you from the point of view of, of you know, doing a book, of writing and publishing a book, um, you know, Heart of America, yes, it is a phrase that is somewhat nostalgic. Heart of America more gives you this idea that you can talk to the rest of, of America as opposed to if we had labeled it by the states or something, and then it sounds very regional. So we'll see if it works. That, that's our editorial and marketing thinking behind it. Well, it certainly appealed to me because I, I wanted to, to know. It got me you know, curious as to who are these people really. So uh, as in they're real people, they're not, they're not sort of uh, people who, who turn up in, in the uh, you know, social pages or don't really exist in the social pages. So therefore, uh, does that mean if they can do it that way and not court the, the publicity, maybe somebody else who reads this can be inspired to do it, who doesn't want the publicity, who's not into the look at me, look at me um, kind of you know attitude. So I applaud you for that because I think it's it makes it more real for people. And it's even though you're talking about billionaires, it's real, and these are real people. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I really do. The, the The feedback is good because you know for so long we're you, you, when you're doing this kind of activity, you're laboring out there and on, on your own and you don't know is any of this going to resonate but obviously it did because you backed yourself and you you trusted your gut instincts on this yes okay so how much do you think 
uh, that trait, that characteristic of trusting yourself, even though everybody else around you might be, you know, saying, look, it's not going to fly. Um, you go for it. How many of these billionaires actually said this is one of the things they, they, they listen to, which is basically their, their intuition, their inner wisdom? Well, that would have to be 100% because you're talking yes. about a group of people who um, the, the, you're, you're talking about a group of people that struck out more, not less. Uh, you'd think because we self-selected here to get interviewed in the book, a founder had to launch, grow and sell for $100 million or more, go public at $300 million or more. You'd think self-selecting a group like that, these people uh, had no problems, and the reality is exactly the opposite. They had more challenges and more setbacks than most um, business people, and so it became more, I think, more inspiring to learn what it is that they overcame. So what, what were some of the setbacks, if you can sort of quickly, you know, uh, list them, that these people actually encountered along the way? Well, I can give you some that I thought were doozies. Uh, Rock Mackey, the founder of uh, Tomo Therapy, um, which is MRI technology. It's a public company, yeah. Tomo Therapy. And um, Rock uh, was launching his company. Um, and had a big partner, a Fortune 50 company that was providing technology and access to the market, and just it was going to be a home run. And at the point of launching the company, this other company, the partner, decided to back out 100%. And so the wow. whole thing died, and he had to lay off his entire team. At the point of launching the company, he had to lay everyone off. Now, you try coming back from that, and he ended up with an IPO valued at about $1 billion when they went public. Now, that's overcoming an obstacle. That's more than it's coming, overcoming a lifetime of obstacles that this man believed in himself. Uh, and can you tell me what happened to, to the people he had to let go? Did they come back to, to work for him? I don't know about all of them. I think eventually some were able to uh, come back. I don't know the exact answer, but the short term, what occurred for Rock and his co-founder was that even though they lost their backing, they decided to personally um, keep on doing the business, keep on funding it to essentially regrow and get to the point where they could uh, find a new corporate partner, which is what they did. So they rebuilt it from the ground up. They rebuilt it from the ground up and basically um, had enough faith in themselves to do it. So tell me, too, uh, in, in, in that particular instance, uh, tomotherapy, would that person have had to have a, a tertiary degree, like gone to university, to be able to do it? Um, is it a necessary prerequisite to be a billionaire? Uh, it's a great question. And Rock is, at least for these 45 founders in the book, is the exception because most of the founding team um, had advanced degrees that they, they were one of the examples of where, yes, you really had to be the rocket scientist to start in most of the other cases. That's not what occurred. It tended to be much more garden variety, something like a Jim Dolan seeing a legal newspaper that mm. simply was an asset. No one else saw an example like Mike Domek tickets now deciding that he would start brokering tickets for music and, sporting events and go put a website up um, yeah. 
things like that. Again, that somebody who who's um, basically internet um, familiar, not savvy, but just internet familiar. So, would you say that a lot of these people, you you need to to be connected uh, on the web to to have some degree or a bit more traction in terms of growing your business and getting the success? Um, I, I think certainly that is true now, uh, mm. because none of these businesses were overnight successes. Um, that's not the case in terms of this, this crowd. I mean, you take businesses like PeopleServe. It was founded in Ohio by Vince Pedinelli, and he was one of the first people to kind of aggregate the idea of homes for severely mentally retarded mm. um, individuals. And so he had something unique to the marketplace, but it had nothing to do with technology. Yeah. Um, he's a great example, by the way, of someone taking a leap. That was a big common element for these founders was taking a, a chance, take a risk. And he quit a job. He was the head of mental health programs for the state of Ohio. Uh, he left a secure job at the age of 35, had a wife, a young kid, because he just, uh, he wanted to try something on his own, namely opening up a home for 10 residents. And if you want to talk about something on the surface that doesn't sound like a way to become a millionaire, that idea does not sound like a way to become a millionaire. Yet he ended up selling PeopleServe to a company called ResCare for $200 million. Smart move, but uh, it would have been scary in the meantime while he was doing the startup and, and growing the business. So in that case, the question now becomes, and especially the one where the, um, you know, the, the rug gets pulled up from under you, how important is in emotional intelligence then when you have to court uh, an angel investor, a partner, it's got to come in and then understand your business and go, yeah, I'm going to back you to the tune of, you know, $50 million or something, you know, substantial amounts of money. How did these people find their angel investors? Uh, it's a great question. And I think for most of them, that wasn't an instantaneous thing. I think most bootstrapped in the beginning. And this, this was much more slow building much more of friends and family in the beginning that, that I think angel investors even was a little down the road. Now, most of them in terms of going public, yes, eventually they did take uh, venture capital and private equity money, but that ability to go negotiate with even an angel in investor, I think for most of them, that was something that occurred over time. And you're also reminding me of one of the quotes from one of the founders who said, you always have to have a hot standby. And by that, what he meant was that don't ever rely on one investor. You always have to have a backup plan. Okay, so that, that, that person might, um, you know, change their mind overnight and leave you. It's like, you know, swimming, when the tide goes down, you can see who's been swimming naked, that kind of situation. That's exactly what occurred. Uh, they got to the day of closing, and this investor thought he had the upper hand, and so he changed the terms of the deal. And uh, this was also Jim Dolan, and, and luckily he had a ready and willing backup investor, what he called a hot standby. And so he was still able to close on his transaction, didn't have to go back to the first investor who had changed the terms in the deal. But this is a mistake that a lot of startups and rookie entrepreneurs, yeah. a lot of us make, which is we come to rely on one particular investor or one particular strategy, and we just think this is it. I'm finally here, and it's a very dangerous thing to do. You always have to have alternatives.
Okay, I want to discuss that a bit more and explore that with you, but we're going to go to commercial break right now, so hang on to your hats, folks. We'll be back real soon. You're listening to Real Coaching Radio. Building a positive network. For you, the listeners of Real Coaching Radio Network's live shows and podcasts, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial to give you a chance to check out their service. We recommend The Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukoff or another audiobook free by trying audible.com. To download your free audiobook today, go to www.audiblepodcast.com forward slash RCRN. Again, that's www.audiblepodcast.com forward slash RCRN for your free audiobook. Imagine a new online community where coaches, experts, and their clients connect. Imagine using a system of powerful tools to improve your life. Imagine the world of your money and finances getting better each day. Saving for the future escaping debt well imagine no more the community is here for you today your radio show host will give you further details discover how to create your extraordinary life with personal coaching sessions and all the ongoing support you'll need to define your vision realize success and create your extraordinary life join our online ask a coach program and connect with one of our expert coaches in the areas of health personal finance relationships personal growth environment career and spirituality go to www.askacoach.us and register You're listening to Real Coaching Radio. Building a positive network. Okay, folks, welcome back. Uh, my name is Lo Wai Tan. You are listening and watching the show, Your Money and Your Mindset. And my special guest today is Mr. Robert Jordan, who's written this amazing book called How They Did It, <clears throat> Billion Dollar Insights from the Heart of America, which is basically a book uh, going around where Bob went around asking questions of people who had successfully floated their companies and became billionaires. And no, these weren't overnight successes, but real people with real stories and very inspirational by the sounds of it, um, just from what Bob's been telling me about these people. And one of them is Jim Dolan that you were talking about, Bob, who uh, basically almost had the rug pulled up from under him by an investor, but he had plan B. Now that is emotional intelligence, isn't it? Yes, So in this case of uh, of Plan B, was it because he had this um, gut feeling that it might not work out with the first investor that he quietly organized investor number two? Yes, that was part of it. He gave credit to an investment banker, a friend who was working with him, that she said, you know, even though they were coming to the day of closing and everything was going perfectly, yeah. she said, we can't stop working. You always have to do one more thing. And and so in that sense, it was that you have to have a backup. And he also was experienced. He had already had, you know, previous transactions that hadn't always worked out right. So all of that added up for him. Right. So how, how for somebody to start from scratch, a standing start, okay, 
um, where would they find this sort of wisdom or do you use as, as a natural course of development and um, you know evolution that a person has to go through this pain themselves and be uh, I guess disappointed be let down but still get up off the canvas each time so that they actually eventually get to that stage where they can float their company so what I'm saying is that can you actually teach a person to become a billionaire or is basically you're out there on your own buddy well, I think there is certainly the school of hard knocks uh, for all of us. Um, I think some things can get easier. You can avoid some landmines by learning from other people. It certainly is uh, the thinking. I'm sure you agree with this. You you're, you have Gloria, a similar you know mission here, and um, you know so we're all in this to I think try to help each other, and we don't all have to make the uh, same bloody mistakes um you know but but you know w we put on a panel when we launched the book we had an event in chicago and we had a lot of people turn up and one of the founders uh in the book on the panel his name is michael polsky he said i don't think there is just one way to do this i think every individual who succeeds is going to have their own way and it's true it's going to be as varied as as human beings are um, but there are obvious things that I think apply. So I think, for example, telling uh, an aspiring entrepreneur, do not rely on one investor. Always have a backup. Do not stop just because one person says, don't worry, I'm going to write you a check. That's very bad to rely on that person. And, and we're all telling you right now, don't do that. Go get, go get a backup. Get a third backup. Cover yourself here because we've all already been through this. Right, so that in a way speaks of the other party not having the same, uh, I guess, integrity and values. So the next question I want to ask is these people, do you see them as, as having a, a deep sense of honesty and doing the right thing and doing the right thing by people around them? I certainly saw this from the interviews. Um, I remember examples like Phil Soren the founder of Compellent, Compellent's a public company. It's about mm -hmm. to get acquired, I think. Um, I can't remember if it's EMC is buying them. But anyway, Phil um, told me that his early investors at one point were not going to get as good a deal as later investors, and he felt badly about that. So he went back to the first group of investors and gave them more equity. He didn't need to do that. You know, They were on their own, essentially, and he did it because it was the right thing to do. And so I that saw that... I'm sorry, go on. Go oh, no, go go ahead. I, I just saw that time and again that there these were people who were not cutting corners. They were taking the time to do things uh, in a, a very deliberate way, and I thought that was it was good. It was it was inspiring to see that. Okay, so that that obviously is is a trait that would spill out onto their uh, interactions with their their staff, let's say. So you've got a point here where you say, you know, these people treated um, their staff with some degree of respect. So was that a, uh, they, they didn't even think they had to do it. It was just something they did because it's part and parcel of the way they were brought up. I think so, or, or, and or what they learned. I mean, I remember Dane Miller telling me that, you know, you should give equity to everyone at your company the yeah. way down, all the way down to the janitor. And, uh, you know, obviously the janitor's not negotiating for an equity position, so doing something like that strikes me as doing the right thing and probably good for business, that now you have someone thinking like an owner and they're going to work a lot more uh, diligently if they think like an owner. 
So if that's so, so much like common sense as and it helps your bottom line, uh, this is a rhetorical question to a certain degree, so why do, doesn't everybody do it? Why don't every other co corporation do this for, for their, their staff and their employees? Well, I think if you're a public company, you can be more driven by what is going to produce a quarterly return. So you can be much more tempted to cut corners, cut costs, and not necessarily think of everyone around you. And not that there's anything wrong with that corporate model, but it can be very short term, as opposed to these founders where they grow up with the business, they grow up with a lot of the employees there, they, you know, you can form close relationships and uh, it'll change your thinking. Okay, so, so basically they had good personal relations with their, their staff and, and I suppose with their clients as well. It's, it's almost like it's, it's a non-negotiable trait. Would you, would you say that was one thing that was most important? Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and did they come across as people who had, um, this is, you know, I'm going to get shot for saying this, did they have like social skills or were they sort of awkward? Um, across the board. You have some who I think were incredibly adept and then you have others where, you know, wonderful with the technology and, um, you know, everyone, look, everybody has their strong suit and this gets to a point, one of my big conclusions from doing the book is that success is never a solo act, never. And, and I'm kind of guilty of this in a way because here I wanted to focus on founders and looking at them as, as individuals um, and, you know, celebrate them and, and their inspiring and let their inspiring words get out into the world. But the reality of it is, is that to achieve incredible success, you have to develop partners internally, you have to develop management teams. And one of the big reasons is because none of us have skills to do everything. And so you have to surround yourself with people who are better than you at all the things you're not so great at. But that also calls for a certain degree of self-awareness that says, you know, I'm like a person going, I'm really good with technology. I'm hopeless with dealing with people. I, I don't relate well. I should put somebody like a PR person who can, uh, you know, smooth over the waters with those people. So when do they actually get to the stage where they realize I'm really crap at talking to people? I'm really good at talking to technology and then saying so I need to hire somebody. That's a great question, and I will tell you for some of those founders, it was before they started the company. And I think this is a, a, an interesting point of self-awareness with these founders to be, to be looking at themselves and not necessarily judging harshly, even though they had so many failures and challenges along the way. And it's interesting because a couple of the founders talked about, you have to look deeply at yourself and, you know, we had founders saying that they would put themselves through psychological profiles in advance because they wanted to know what they were good at and what they weren't good at. And that ability to look at yourself and not, and, and when you have a failure to not say, that's it, I'm going to fold up shop, yeah. but to simply say, okay, that was an experiment and it didn't go right. What's the next experiment going to look like? That is, so something, that is something I think that they were very good at. So, so there was an inner resilience, uh, almost like being optimistic that, okay, hey, this one didn't work, so let's fail, like the saying, fail fast so you actually succeed. You're bringing up one of the best quotes uh, in the book, that's Scott Jones, who essentially is the, found, you know, the inventor of voicemail that we all use. Billions of people use voicemail, and yep. it has a, an inventor, and that is Scott Jones. 
And he said, we fail fast. And he didn't mean destroying companies. He meant you have to look at this like experiments, your, your development of a product, your marketing, that it's a little like Edison, you know, the 3000th yeah. version of the light bulb didn't work. Well, it doesn't mean you're going to stop before the 3001st version. And, and so many of us view what we do that if we have had a setback, that it is fatal. And this group proves it's never, ever fatal, never. So basically, when you're down, get up off the canvas, try again, but try something different. Try something different. And this, you're reminding me of another quote from Bill DeVille. He's the founder of Health Personnel Options. And he said, so many of us avoid failing. And that is not the same thing as succeeding. And I, I really took that to heart that these people took a leap. And, you know, all of us are told you have to go for it and everything. But the, the, the substance behind it, I think, is for a lot of us, what we're really doing are these little baby steps that are trying to avoid failing. This group proves that is not a way to have big success. You have to actually take a leap. Take a leap. Uh, yeah, like the person who decided to quit his job and, and, and start a, a company looking for homes for people with mental disorders. Now that is, is an amazing leap of faith. What did his wife say, would you like to be a fly on the wall, you know, when, when he came home and announced to his wife, guess what, I've just quit my job. What do you think she would have said? Well, you're, you're, Laura, you're feeding me these lines because we, we thought, I thought it was so funny what Vince said. We put the quote in the book. He came home, he told his wife this, and he said there was a gnashing of teeth, and she said, you're going to do what? And uh, I thought that was so wonderful that we put that quote into the book from Vince. Uh, that, that's amazing because uh, usually some people would, would uh, just basically freak out completely, and yet, obviously, I, I take it they're still married, uh, and everything's going swimmingly well now. So that's the question I want to come back to you with, and, and that is the, the people around them who were their support team, and how important these people were to making uh, whoever was out there, you know, at the, at the coal face, uh, make the company work. Uh, what were their, their I, I guess, their roles that they played and how important they were. So just hang on for a minute and that we'll come back to that in just a second after this commercial break. So see you at the other side. You are listening to Real Coaching Radio. Building a positive network. Discover how to create your extraordinary life with personal coaching sessions and all the ongoing support you'll need to define your vision, realize success, and create your extraordinary life. Join our online Ask a Coach program and connect with one of our expert coaches in the areas of health, personal finance, relationships, personal growth, environment, career, and spirituality. Go to www.askacoach.us and register. Imagine a new online community where coaches, experts, and their clients connect. Imagine using a system of powerful tools to improve your life. Imagine the world of your money and finances getting better each day. Saving for the future. Escaping debt. Well... Imagine no more. The community is here for you today. Your radio show host will give you further details. 
for you, the listeners of Real Coaching Radio Network's live shows and podcasts, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial to give you a chance to check out their service. We recommend The Seat of the Soul by Gary Zukoff or another audiobook free by trying audible.com. To download your free audiobook today, go to www.audiblepodcast.com forward slash RCRN. Again, that's www.audiblepodcast.com forward slash RCRN for your free audiobook. You're listening to Real Coaching Radio, building a positive network. Okay, folks, welcome back. My name is Lowe Tan. I am the host of Your Money and Your Mindset. And today we are picking the mindset of Mr. Robert Jordan, who's written this amazing book called How They Did It, Billion Dollar Insights from the Heart of America. And it's basically interviewing uh, 41 founders of companies that have been uh, either making $100 million or $300 million if it's been floated. So if you have, you know, it makes your eyes water when you think about the sorts of sums of money we're talking about. Uh, hang on tight because this is an amazing book that can tell you virtually how these people did it and perhaps even save you, the aspiring billionaire, some grief on the process, in the process of how you get there yourself. So now we're coming back to this rather important question, I would say, um, personally, because nobody does it alone, as you've said. And uh, consequently, you're saying that these people had backup and not just a good team around them at work, but also people at home like their wives, husbands, spouses. Uh, I understand there's only one woman on this um, founder series, which is interesting in itself. So did you actually uh, interview their partners as well for, for this book? No, it was much more of a focus on on the how they did it was how did they build a company, how did they overcome obstacles. Um, we did ask some of the founders about balance in their lives, and that was more of a mixed bag. I think most of the founders would say it was incredibly hard to have balance in their lives while they were just working like crazy to build their companies. Very hard. I, I don't know that anyone had a magic answer on on the uh, personal situation. They had some very entertaining answers, um, uh, which I'm happy to tell you about, but but it's, it's hard. I, did, I don't have, didn't have a magic answer on that one. All right, so entertain us with some of these answers. Glenn Tolman, who is now the uh, CEO of Allscripts, a public company, he said, he says to his salespeople, that when their customers say it's not personal, as in you're not going to get the business, you're not getting the orders, not personal, he said it's it's all personal because what they're essentially telling you is your children are not going to be fed because if you don't make these sales, eventually you're not going to have a job. So he said it's all personal. And I heard that and I thought, okay, this is this is serious. <laughs> so so basically it's almost as, as though you know the romans used to um before they went off to their little sorties they used to burn their galleons meaning that you couldn't turn back that there wasn't an option there wasn't a cushy you know go back to to work option is that is that the feeling you got from these people oh absolutely absolutely uh and i think in general i've, I've heard from other entrepreneur programs that uh you know entrepreneurs at some point become unemployable by uh, you know, traditional, uh, the traditional corporate world, um, especially if they've had any success at all, you get used to the fact that you have a freedom of movement 
if you, you know, have figured out any product or service that'll work, that you're not going to go back to answering to someone else. Certainly true for this kind of crowd. What about you personally? Do you, do you like the idea of freedom movement? You call the shots, you turn up to work when you feel like it kind of thing? Yeah, there's no way. But of course, there's no other way. But but I can turn up whenever I want so long as everything is getting done. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. When things are going well in business, then I think, uh, you know, for a lot of founders, the more they can delegate, the less time they have to have their hands on a business. The business can actually succeed more. Um, but in the growing phases, it's, you know, it's, it's as you know, or why it's, it's constant work. Um, and uh, that's just the way that it is. So basically, it's it's hard hard work when you're starting up. Then it uh, develops a critical mass, right? And it starts taking off and it has its own momentum. But the, the crucial point is how do you actually uh, select and appoint people who are right for the role? How do these people do that? You're bringing up a great example, and, and the opposite of it is one of the big uh, stumbling points for a lot of startups, which is hiring the wrong people. And yeah. I can tell you what some of these founders said. Uh, Howard Tallman, who's the founder of Certified Collateral, and he now has, uh, he got into the education field with something called Tribeca Flashpoint. Howard said, entrepreneurs should never do the hiring. And when asked why, he said, because we do all the talking and you get a candidate in there. And if they're a good listener, then the entrepreneur does all the talking and this person just is agreeing and agreeing. And by the end of the interview, the founder knows nothing. They think this person is wonderful because they've just been so much fun to talk to. And, you know, it's not a very efficient hiring process. And so his one piece of advice was not to have founders do any of the hiring. We had another good piece of advice from uh, uh, Mahendra Vora, who's had a, a series of home run companies. And he said, the key thing is how you train your top five people. Because if you train them well, those top five train the next 25. And those 25 train 125. And that was his recipe for growing companies. So we heard good advice like that. Now, that sort of advice is invaluable. So um, I'd like you to talk about your book as to where somebody who's interested in, in emulating these people, where can they go to get your book? Um, thank you for that question. Uh, the, the easy places to go would be on Amazon, um, Amazon.com, uh, Barnes & Noble, BN.com. Uh, Barnes & Noble stores, most of them have it. It's a good idea to look at the uh, store lo locator online first because they have an inventory and will show which stores have the book. And um, then we have companies that sometimes are buying it in quantity, and there's a service called 800-CEO-READ, and there's a website there as well, and so it's possible to buy the book um, a little more efficiently in quantity that way. Okay. It looks like, uh, you know, this is a, it's a venture that's going to take off if it hasn't already. I mean, I'm fascinated by this book. So what's next for Bob Jordan? Well, we started working on the second uh, book, which is a global edition. So it kind of gets back to your earlier question, uh, Laura, why that, um, you know, why did we just focus on one particular region? And I think it's interesting because um, 
there are unsung heroes in other parts of the world. Um, and it, it just would be interesting to look at, look at some of those other people. So that's one of the things we're working on. And I suppose the logistics will be a, a challenge in itself. So how are you going to creatively uh, get your foot in the door for these people to say yes to being interviewed? Well, it's a hundred times easier now because the, the, you know, how they did it already came out. And so there's already something tangible and it's getting nice reviews, which I'm very grateful for. And, and so this is much easier. Uh, it, it has, you know, some momentum behind it. And I have to say the other thing that we're doing besides books is we've started, you know, the conversation continues. We, we have the website, um, we have fans on Facebook. And it's not even so much for looking at selling the book. It's that there's this conversation with aspiring entrepreneurs and, and that it keeps going. And, and we also continue to interview entrepreneurs um, uh, on those websites. And so that's how I think we keep on trying to add value and enrich um, this audience in the conversation. Can you just give us the address of your website very quickly, please, so that people can hop on board now and have a look? Sure. The website is at www.howtheydidit.book.com. So you just you spell the words together: howtheydidit.book.com, and then on Facebook it's how they did it. And um, anybody that wants to follow that conversation, if you just click like on the page, then uh, you get joined. And so, for example, we put up a quote a day. Um, from the founders, and uh, that's a little bit of inspiration. And we've started a, a uh, newsletter where we've kind of distilled down some of the, the things we've been talking about today. Because in the book, I don't draw any conclusions. The book is is all just in the founders' words themselves. It's them talking. It's their quotes. It's the Q&A. I'm not trying to draw any conclusions in the book. Right, but you actually engage people on, on the site where you can have a conversation about uh, and your opinions and everybody throws in their, their two cents worth, so to speak. Yes. Okay, that's, that's a great thing. We'll put it up on the website in a moment maybe at the finish of this interview. Now, one final question, it's, it's my favorite question, is that with these people, it sounds that they had very um, strong personal values. Was philanthropy one of those that featured for them? Absolutely. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I think it's a, a very serious component for all of them. And, um, you know, the more that we come into contact with company founders that we would like to interview, you know, there are a number of people who have completely, that they've left the business realm entirely just to pursue philanthropy. And, and we'd like to get more of those people featured because it is it's so critical. I mean, we, I really think part of a full life is that you have to give back. And I consider that this is one way that we are giving back is, is that this book was a labor of love. Um, and uh, so I hope it, you know, helps inspire some people in the future to have some big success. So basically it's a, I, I agree in that sense that uh, with poverty comes crime and, all that associated downsides, and actually, if you get people to a point where they are, they've got a roof over their head, they've got clean water, and they've got some degree of hope, uh, it's going to be a much better world. Yes, you're right. I'm glad you said that, and 
Thank you very much, Mr. Robert Jordan, for taking that out of your very important day and your busy day to come and talk to us. And uh, thank you once again. And I hope at some stage to have you back when you've got the global version going and you can tell me about people from overseas and uh, how they, and I, I would imagine there will be uh, characteristics and traits which are, I, I guess, you know, identical even though they've got nuances which are different for each cultural condition. So on that note, Mr. Robert Jordan, thank you very much again. And um, for you out there listeners, go do yourself a favor, go out, get this book, read it, be inspired and be a millionaire because there's nothing stopping you from doing it. Thank you very much and good evening. Thank you, Lorway. Today's podcast is brought to you by ObesityHotline.com, the silent killer, providing support and encouragement in the prevention of this rising epidemic. Featuring the Body by Vi Challenge, is there a quick answer to the question? Go to www.ObesityHotline.com. You're listening to Real Coaching Radio, building a positive network.